So this is the third week of this uh, series that we're doing, uh, Binge Worthy. And we are uh, uh, doing this, uh, this message today on the movie No Time to Die, the, uh, the most recent installment of the James Bond saga. And they, they say it's going to be the last James Bond movie. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, that's what they say. Uh, and just a disclaimer before I start, because, you know, Tim does this with you too, so I might as well. I'm going to completely and utterly spoil this whole movie for you today, just so you know. It's going to happen. Uh, but it's for a good cause, because I really believe that you're going to see Christ through this today, right? Amen? All right. And let's be honest anyway. You don't watch a James Bond movie for the storyline anyway, right? You watch it for the action scenes. We all know that, so... Don't act that upset that I'm going to ruin the story for you. Uh, in this movie of James Bond, Daniel Craig uh, is playing James Bond just like he has for the last oh, 20 years now. Uh, I will say I'm a little biased. I love Daniel Craig. I think he's probably the best James Bond that there's ever been. But then again, you know, in my generation, the only two James Bonds I can remember is Daniel Craig and in the 90s was Pierce Brosnan. So I don't really have much to compare it to, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I'll pick Daniel Craig. And I know some of you guys are going to be like, no, it was Sean Connery. Okay. Yeah. I'll, all right. Yeah. 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 Half of you guys weren't even around in the 60s. So I don't even want to hear it. It wasn't him. Come on. Sheesh. Like two of you could actually remember Sean Connery from the 60s. Okay. Uh. But no, uh, the, this James Bond movie is like any other James Bond movie. It's the same, same theme, right? James Bond is going to, he, he has a mission to do, and his mission is the, to save the world from some evil villain, an evil plot that's going to destroy and wipe out all of mankind. And so it's the, the same story that we've seen over and over again, but in, in this one, it's, there's a little more of a twist because in this one, it's James Bond saving the world, and, and he's got his mission, but at the same time, James Bond has moved into a new season in life. He's, he's much, much older now, which, which makes sense, because Daniel Craig has been playing James Bond since 2005 or 2006, so, you know, they're sticking to their actor here, and so it's the same theme. There's still a mission. The only difference is, is it's a different season, and what we're going to look at today in Scripture is a man that that also had a mission. A man named Caleb, who we're gonna see was faithful to his mission through every season of life. And if you don't know who Caleb is, Caleb was one of the original Israelites that God had uh, delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery, right? Caleb you heard of Caleb and Joshua, right? They almost went hand in hand together. Caleb was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land to, to spy out the promised land. Caleb represented the tribe of Judah, right? Judah, we, we know a, a few kings probably that came from Judah, right? You know, that's, that's the tribe that Caleb represented. And, and Caleb was actually one of only two people out of that original group of Israelites that came out of, that God delivered out of Egypt. He was one of only two people that actually made it into the promised land. The rest of that original generation of Israelites ends up dying in the wilderness and God brings their offspring, the children of them, into the promised land, except for, except for Joshua and Caleb. And we're going to see why God chose to bring Caleb into the promised land right here in this passage. So if you have your Bibles with you, 
We're going to open up to Numbers chapter 14, verse 20 through 24. And I'm going to get it in my Bible here because I'm not a very good preacher if I don't open up my Bible, right? Amen? So I'm going to read along with you here. Numbers chapter 14, verse 20 through 24. And if you could, let's stand together as we read God's word this morning. It says, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, no one, uh, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb had a different spirit, everybody say different spirit. spirit. Yes, different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father God, I just ask right now in this moment, Lord, that you just take out of my head, take out of my heart, anything that's not from you, anything you don't want to, you don't want said to your people, Lord. Lord, please open the hearts of every single person in this room, Lord. Speak through me, Holy Spirit, this morning and speak and touch the hearts like only you can do, Lord, with every person in this room. We want to see you, Jesus, and we want your name glorified in this place this morning. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. And you guys can have a seat. The title of my message today is The Mission of Life. The Mission of Life. We all have a mission in life. I hear people ask the question all the time, or they at least think about it all the time. What is my mission? What is my purpose in life? I think purpose and mission in this context, really those two words are interchangeable. They go hand in hand, right? What is my purpose in life? What is my mission in life? And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you've been, and you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and changed into a new creation, the answer to that question is very, very simple. And if you have your notes, I want you to write it down. Your mission is to glorify God with your life. That is your mission. What does that mean to glorify God? The two greatest commandments, Jesus said it. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to break it down even more, how do we love people? By sharing the gospel to the nations. Giving them the hope of the world that's found in Christ. Our mission is not a dream home, believe it or not. Our mission is not a a career. Our mission is not a spouse. Our our mission is not children. I know that's surprising to some of you, but your mission and purpose in life, your ultimate purpose is not children. I got twins coming, so pray for me on that one, okay? Yeah. The only people saying, woo, the people that don't have twins coming, okay? (laughs) But that's not our mission in life, right? Those are blessings. 
Those are beautiful things that God has blessed us with, and we are called to be responsible with those things. We are called to be good stewards with those things that God's given us. But our ultimate mission is to glorify Him. And we should be using all those blessings that God has given us in our life to ultimately be used to glorify the name above every name, which is Jesus. And, this, and, the, and the interesting thing and the amazing thing is, is, is when we make Jesus our ultimate mission of our life, you become a better husband and a better wife. You become a better friend to people. You become a better father. You become a better uh, a worker and, and, and financial advisor when you make Jesus your ultimate mission. But whether we choose the real mission we were created for, which is to glorify him or not, whether we choose that or not, you will always have a mission and purpose in your life. You just will. In, in this clip at the, at the beginning of uh, the James Bond movie, James Bond thinks, he gets away, he escapes to an island, he thinks he's retired, and <laughs> he thinks for a second that the missions are over. And he don't got any more missions to do in life that now, He's just going to relax for the rest of his life. And an old friend shows up and kind of reminds him, nah, that's, that's not really the case. So take a, take a look at this, this clip. Notice at the end there, James Bond says, I, I don't know if you've got the memo, but I'm retired. I'm retired from the mission. And this is a great illustration to show that no matter what, there will always be a mission and purpose in our lives. And in, in every season of your life, there is going to be distractions that this world is going to put your way. There's going to be uh, things that are going to try to deter you from the ultimate mission that you were created for. So there's going to be seasons in your life where you go into the the, the marital season, right? And now you have a spouse and, and it's easy to start to think to yourself, well, this is my purpose and mission, right? My purpose and mission is now gonna be focused on just my career because we wanna be financially stable and I wanna buy a great house for my, for my wife and my children and, and I don't really have time to, to do outreach or to minister because my focus is gonna be at 80 hours at work a week so that we can buy the things that we wanna buy, or we move into seasons of our life of, of, of children, a children's season in our life where now we have children and, and we make them the top priority in our life where we say, okay, like this is going to come first. Their activities are going to come first. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the gathering of believers on Sunday. I don't know if I'm going to make it to church because they have activities to do and they're my main focus. God, I'll, 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 I'll pray to you and I'll read your word when I have time. But right now, this is my main focus in life. This is, this is, this is what I'm making my purpose in life. And it's easy to do that as we move into different seasons in our life. I get very nervous because I see what our culture is doing. And our culture is making it a point to focus on, on changing and, and distracting young people in our, in our society today. They are making it a point to try to, to try to brainwash young people into believing that their mission in life is to glorify themselves. I mean, I, I see it. I'm sure you see it. I mean, we, there's, there's platforms set up for this. You know, we, we have a platform named TikTok, right? And I don't mean to offend any, any TikTokers in here. You know, I know, I'm sure that there's some type of dance or wiggle that probably helps people. I'm 
Sure there is, but, but mostly overall, when I look at platforms like that, I'm going to be honest with you, it seems to be just something of, of just look at me, just glorify me. How many followers, how many people can I get to look and see me right now? I mean, young, young women and, and young people will sexualize themselves on it just to get more views, to get people to see them and look at them. Oh, my Apple Watch was spying on me. But we will, we will, it's all about me through that app. And I don't mean to just pick on young people with TikTok, you know? I mean, e even there's distractions in every season of our lives. I mean, every year that goes by, I'm moving more and more into the, into the old folks category, right? I guess that's, that's where I'm moving closer to. I ain't moving closer to the younger people. And every year that goes by, I actually get more convicted when I see young people that are doing more for the kingdom than I am. I don't know about you. You know, I, we were not made and we were not created as we mature in life to say, well, ministry is a young man's game. You know, they got more time on their hands. They don't have as much to lose. I have more responsibility as I get older. So I'm kind of retiring from that. I'm kind of relaxing from that. This is their time to start doing things. No, no, I don't believe that's what we were made for as we get older. Because I'll be honest with you. The facts are, as we get older, every single day we're getting one day closer to seeing Jesus someday. Like the odds are that I'm gonna probably see Jesus and you're gonna probably see Jesus much, much before some of these younger people are gonna see Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna go into the kingdom someday and Jesus asked me, what did you do the last five, 10 years of your life? And I tell him, well, listen, I retired. I've been enjoying myself on a beach, sipping margaritas. I've been golfing seven days a week, Jesus, and you'll never believe what my backswing looks like now. Like, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a scary conversation. Like, I don't want that. I want to be able to go into the throne room and, and look at Jesus and be able to tell him, Lord, I sat, me and my family, we sacrificed it all for you. We laid it all down for you because your name is great and we wanted to glorify you. And, and, and because of it, we lost everything, but we gained you in the end, Lord. So we gained everything. Like, that's how I want to go in when I see him someday. And so... The problem with this is, is that when you make anything in your life the mission and purpose of your life other than what you were created for, which is to glorify God, what you get left with is an emptiness and a hole inside of you that will never be able to be fulfilled. And I'm sure we all can, can, can attest this. We all know a non-believer or an unbeliever that's probably, that's probably wealthy, that's probably successful, that might be famous, that, that probably is rich beyond even imagination, right? And, and we all know those people and we all can see many of them are unsatisfied. They're unfulfilled in life. And, and even as far as a lot of them go into great depressions in their lives, right? And if you ask them, if you ask them what the problem is, most of them, if they're being honest with you, will tell you, I just haven't found my purpose yet in life because they were never created for the purpose that they're searching for. We were all created for one purpose, and that was to glorify his name with everything that we do in our lives and keep him first priority in our life. And this is my testimony. I'll be honest with you. This is my, this is my testimony. When I was 14, I got saved, praise God, at a young age. And I still remember to this day, I remember, 
um, telling the pastor of our church, I came from a, a small Baptist church, a couple hundred people in it, and there was an older gentleman who's now gone, who's gone to be with the Lord, but he was my pastor, and I remember telling them, you know, that uh, I got saved, and I, I want to get baptized, and I remember, I don't know how much, like if it was a few weeks or whatever, but I remember him taking me out to a, a freezing cold lake in the middle of April in, in Maine, so there's probably chunks of ice on the lake, and the 60-something-year-old some, preacher dragged me out of there, and before that, he told the whole congregation at the church, I better see all you down there at the lake for this baptism, and guess what? Everybody from the church was down there to watch that baptism. We were, we were a little scared of him, I think, in some ways, and so they all went down and watched, and he dunked me under and, and baptized me, and I remember it was just the most amazing thing, and then something happened two or three years later in my life, and and I ended up hanging around with some of the wrong people. And I, and I remember, and it's, it's scary to say today, but I remember having a conversation with God. And I remember a couple of years later when I was 17, 18, I remember telling the Lord, you know what? I believe in you, Jesus, but there's so much fun I want to do out there. And this is my life. And I'm going to find happiness my way. And I told him that. And for 12 years, I tried that. And, and my story, my testimony is not that God brought me to the lowest point of my life. I wasn't addicted to drugs. God didn't take everything away from me. No matter of fact, actually, it's kind of weird. God actually blessed me during those 12 years. It, it's weird. I mean, God actually gave me everything I was looking for. I wanted a great career right when I got out of college. God gave me an amazing career, which I still do to this day, 12 years later. And I, I, God gave me, I, I, I got things that I wanted, cars, house, whatever I wanted. I got all those things. And I remember 12 years later being in my, in my place in Foxborough, and I remember exactly where I was. I was up in my bedroom, and I was kneeling on the floor, and I had gotten to the point in my life where I got everything that I thought was going to fulfill me, but nothing of it satisfied me. And I remember getting on my knees in that room eight years ago now in Foxborough and crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm done. I've tried it. Nothing has fulfilled me. If you still want this life, just take it at this point. I don't even want it anymore. And I remember God, the Holy Spirit, whispering to my heart. And I remember the words that he said. He said, yes, I still want that life. And everything changed in my life at that moment. I'd found my ultimate mission, my ultimate purpose. It was Jesus. And... In this passage that we read, we see a man named Caleb, the passage that we read a little earlier. We see a man named Caleb who, who completed the mission and it, the, the scriptures say that he had a, a different spirit. Well, why was his spirit different? Well, his spirit was different because he wholly followed and trusted the Lord, the, the scriptures say. And, and I truly believe that if we are going to fully complete the mission that God has created us for, which is to glorify him, we need to have a Caleb-like spirit. Meaning we need to have a spirit that wholly follows and trusts the Lord through anything. And so what I want to do today with you guys is I want to take a look at some of these passages of Caleb's life. I want to take a look at this Caleb-like spirit. And I believe that there are some traits that a Caleb-like spirit has that I believe as believers, as followers of Jesus, we need to possess some of these traits. So if you have your notes with you, I'm going to give you the first one right now. The first trait is this. It says, Trust the Lord, not your eyes. Trust the Lord, not your eyes. Numbers 13, 30 through 33 says, 
But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. You're getting the illustration here? Caleb is choosing to trust what God said, that he would deliver them and give them this promised land. And the rest of Israel is choosing to trust what they see over what God said. Caleb is choosing to say, I don't care if there's giants in the land. I don't care if the cities are fortified. I don't really care if we look like grasshoppers. If God says that he is giving us this land, then we are getting this land. If he is for us, then who could be against us? And my question for you today, brothers and sisters and believers in Christ, do we have a faith like this? Do we possess a faith where no matter what our eyes see, we still trust what God says? Like, honestly, like, how are we supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world if every time a mandate, protest, riot uh, comes out, if every time we see people that are, are, are confused of genders and, and we see all the chaos happening in the world, if all we do is just believe what our eyes see, we'll just turn into this emotional rubble where we get angry at everybody all the time. We get discouraged. We get depressed. We get we get dismayed and we, we just start getting confused if we, if we don't trust the Lord instead of what our eyes see. You know, we, we, we're living in a time right now where people are fearful. Like two weeks ago, we see war and now we're hearing rumors of bigger war happening and the world is fearful right now. The world is anxious right now. How are we supposed to tell the world that we have the hope of the world if we're acting just like the world and we're fearful because we see things going on? We need to be able to look at the world and look at people in this world and we need to tell them, listen, I know it doesn't look good. I know it looks grim, but I want you to know I've read this book. I know the last chapter. I know how it's gonna end. Yes, my Savior came as a lamb for the slaughter, but he's coming back someday as a lion. We need to tell them, listen, we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I don't fear any evil because my God is with me. He upholds me with his righteous right hand. I can be still because I know that he is still God and he is still on the throne. We need to be able to trust what he says and not what our eyes see. And one of the things that I thought was interesting in this and, and I know that some of you are probably sitting there saying, well, this is kind of an obvious point, Josh. I know we got to trust the God. No, I see. But I feel like I still have to talk to you about this. God still put this on my heart today because as much as you've, however long you've been following Jesus, I'm going to tell you, you can still get distracted by what you see in this world sometimes. Even the disciples that walked with Jesus, okay? And Jesus told them many times what he was going to have to do. He told them his mission. He told them, hey, listen, they're going to, they're going to break this temple down, but in three days, I'm going to rebuild it, okay? I'm coming back, just so you know. And guess what happened? He dies on the cross, and guess what the disciples do? They get upset. They get discouraged. They're like, look, he's gone. 
and they're scared. After everything Jesus said to them, they still believe what they saw. But we know the end of the story. We know that three days later, Jesus came up out of that grave, holding the keys of hell in his hand, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and now sitting at the right-hand seat of the Father in heaven for eternity. Because God always comes through with what he says he's going to do. He always comes through. So that's why I believe that we need to still be careful of this. That we trust God even if the world is doing everything else around us and it doesn't look good. We know that our Lord is good and that we can rest in him. Another thing of this passage, I don't know if you saw this, but it's kind of interesting, the illustration, and this is just a a side point uh, that I might as well just say to you guys today is, if if you look at this, it's interesting how you have have one man, you have Caleb, who's going this way and saying, no, 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 we we can take this land. God's given us this land. And then you got all of Israel saying, no, no, we can't. We got we to gotta do something. We got we to gotta believe what our eyes see. You see what I'm saying here? You got Caleb, and then you got the rest of Israel. This is a good measuring stick for you today and for, for me today. What I'm trying to say is, if you are truly making Christ your ultimate mission in life. If you are truly making, glorifying the Lord with your life, your ultimate mission, you you should be going the opposite direction of the world. If you're examining your life right now and you look just like your non-Christian neighbor that lives right next door to you and you have the same lifestyle and you're looking exactly like they are and you're looking exactly like everyone else that's in the world and you're not looking different, then I'm gonna tell you right now, it's a great measuring stick that you haven't made the Lord your mission. Because anybody I see in scripture that follows Christ looks completely different than the world. They go the opposite way. In the, in the James Bond movie, there's a, there's a scene, and, and uh, in the scene, James Bond goes to the gravesite of one of his uh, lovers, one of the love of his life from years ago. And in the scene, you, you can tell, and you can tell throughout the whole movie that he keeps looking back at his past and he hasn't let go of his past and because he hasn't let go of his past and because he hasn't been able to forgive himself because he still blames himself for the reason why she died the reason why he can't move forward in life because he keeps living in the past and looking back at the past so I want you to take a look at this and then we'll get to the second trait of a Caleb-like spirit No, I didn't ruin the movie for you yet. Just wait till the last scene, then I'll ruin it for you, okay? He's still alive. He's okay. All right. But he keeps going back to his past. And because of it, he's not able to move forward in what's new in life. And this is the second trait of a Caleb-like spirit. Don't look back at what God brought you out of. Look forward at what God is bringing you into. Numbers 14, 2 says, and all the people of Israel, this is the Israelite nation, all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness? See, what's happening here is Israel is now so fearful because of what they saw that now they are looking back at where they came from and they're forgetting how bad it was in Egypt and now they're saying, it would have been better if God just let us die in Egypt. Like at least we had something there. 
Like it would have been better. Why would he bring us all the way here just to let us die now? No trust whatsoever in the Lord. They kept looking back at what God had delivered them out of. And I'm not saying, you know, by looking at this, I'm not saying, you know, don't remember your loved ones or anything like that. I hope you guys don't get that the wrong way. I'm using this as an analogy just to tell you that what God has delivered you out of, stop trying to dabble and go back into it. You know, some of you, and maybe there's some people in this room today that, that say, you know, I, I, I've been waiting and I've been willing for, for, for a spouse, for a partner. I don't know why God hasn't brought me a new spouse in my life. Well, maybe, and I want to ask you this, and I don't know, but are you still going back to something that God has already delivered you out of? Like, how is God going to bring something new in your life if you haven't trusted him yet and you keep going back to what he's already delivered you out of? And maybe, maybe there's some people in this room today that, you know, maybe life's been stressful or whatever the excuse is, and maybe you've started to, to kind of dabble back with something from your past, some sin from your past that God had delivered from you when he, crea- when he made you into a new creation and you put your faith and trust in him. And what I want to tell you today is leave it and move forward into what God's got ahead of you. Second Peter says that they proved the truth of the proverb that a dog returns to his vomit and another says that a washed pig returns to his mud. Listen, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you surrendered your life, the blood of Jesus has already washed that sin away. He has freed you from that bondage and chain of whatever your past is. Don't go back to it anymore. Start moving forward as the new creation that God has made you to be into what he's got for you next. Don't look back. Don't go back. You know, and we can even do this in a way in church sometimes. You know, I've seen, I've been here for eight years. I've seen people come and go. And, you, you know, <laughs> I've seen people that have gone to church their whole life leave because they're upset that we're doing series like Binge Worthy. Like, how dare they put a, a secular movie on a TV screen to preach the gospel? You know, I've seen people leave because the music is too loud. Worship. I remember when worship, they said it was just a piano and maybe someone would just tap on the drums, but that was about it, right? And they keep comparing everything to the past. Well, let, let me tell you something. The gospel never changes, but the delivery of the gospel does, right? If you look at it right now, 20 years ago, people were not getting saved online. But do you know how much Christ Jesus has used internet and online ministry to reach millions of people and bring them to himself? It's a beautiful thing. The delivery of the gospel always changed. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that once said that a good preacher will have a Bible in one hand and he'll have a newspaper in the other. Why? He needs to know what the current events are and what's going on so that he can contextualize and bring the gospel to the people where they're at. We need to stop looking back and we need to start moving forward and be open to where God is bringing us. We need to have a heart and a faith that says, Lord, I don't know where I'm going, but I know that you know. And I trust and I'm open. Just open the door, show me where to go, and I'm going and I'm trusting you. That's what Caleb was doing. He said, God's delivered us. God's opened this door. I don't care what it looks like. We're going. I ain't looking back at the past. We're out of there. And that, that's the thing sometimes. You know, it's, it's easy. It's easy sometimes. We, we, we can have this selective amnesia sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, We'll look at our past and it seems like we only remember 
the good things. Like, oh, you know, person was so great. We had so many great memories and so many great vacations, right? But we forget all about the fights and the arguments and everything else that God delivered us out of. Or, you know, I, I remember those amazing nights with friends partying and, oh, we had such a great time back then. And we start to reminisce about what God delivered us out of. Like, we don't remember how we felt the next morning hungover and shameful and discouraged at the decisions that we made the night before that God delivered us out of. So trust God. Stop looking at our past and start looking forward to what God is doing in your life, the here and now. Here's the, here's the third trait out of, of a Caleb-like spirit that we need to possess. When life doesn't turn out how you want it to, you trust God has you where he wants you. Look at Numbers 14, 28 through 30. It says, say to them, as I live, declares it. I think that's such a funny statement. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord. Okay, well, we know God doesn't die. There's no beginning or end. So what he's saying is, yeah, tell them this is forever, okay? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your bodies die, your bodies your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And, all, and of all your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, some of you might be reading that verse and thinking, well, I, I don't get how that is a Caleb-like spirit, because it what you said was when life doesn't turn out the way you want it to, you trust God has you where, you where he wants you. Well, it sounds like Caleb's getting what he wants, right? He's, he's going into the promised land. Uh, he is. But did you notice in that passage that it didn't say Caleb was going into the promised land tomorrow? Caleb is going to have to go the next 40 years of his life in the wilderness with these grumbling Israelites as God takes them out and brings up the next generation. Half of Caleb's life is going to be spent in the wilderness when he wholly trusted and followed the Lord. And I don't believe that that's what Caleb dreamed of. I don't think when he trusted the Lord that he thought that he'd have to waste 40 years in a wilderness and this is my question for some of you today. Maybe you're in a marriage that you didn't see yourself in. Maybe you had this, this beautiful picture in mind and your marriage just hasn't looked like that yet. Or, or maybe you're in a point in your career and in your life where you thought you'd be way further along than where you are right now. Maybe you thought you'd have kids at this point. Maybe you thought you would have had a raise or you'd be doing something completely different than the career choice that you have, but you had to do it because you ended up having a family and you have to support them. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're in a point in your life where you didn't foresee yourself in this place in life if I would have asked you 10 years ago. My question to you today is, do you believe and trust that God has you right where he wants you? See, I know that Caleb still stayed faithful to the Lord throughout those 40 years in the wilderness. Because if you skip forward a couple books into Joshua, Caleb is still described as a holy, holy follower and truster of the Lord. He never stopped trusting. So do you believe that even though your life may not look the way you thought it would look, do you 
believe and trust that God has you where he wants you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This is like my life verse. I love this verse. Do you, do you know what this is saying? This is saying, listen, Jesus did the work back then on the cross. He's doing the work now in your life and he'll be doing the work in the future for you. Do you trust him? Do you trust that where he has you, that, that God knows and has a plan for you of why he has you there? Maybe you're a young person in the room and you've been trying your hardest to do well in high school so you could get into the college that you want to get into and now it's been time to apply for colleges and you got declined from everyone you thought you were going to get into. Are you going to believe and are you going to trust that God has a plan and a purpose for your life and you are exactly where he wants you to be? You know, there's a, there's a, uh, a man in the Bible. His name's David. Some people know him as King David. If you look at his life, I can tell you right now, his life did not look exactly the way I believe he thought it would look. Like at a young age, David was anointed to be king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. But even after he was anointed to be king, guess what he had to do? He went right back into his father's fields and shepherded the sheep. And there's a beautiful point where He's in the field shepherding the sheep and his father asked him to bring lunch to his brothers who are in the army of Israel. And so he brings lunch to them while they're out there against the Philistine army and Goliath is, you know, standing there taunting the people of Israel. And, and David sees this and he says, you know, I'll go and I'll fight this man that comes against the Lord. And, and he goes to Saul, the king, and he tells him, I'll go out and fight this man that no one else will fight to deliver him into the hands of the Lord. And Saul says to him, and I'm paraphrasing, Saul says, you know, you're just a young boy, young shepherd boy, what, what can you do? And there's this beautiful line where David says, in, in 1 Samuel 17, 34, 35, David says, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and I struck it and I killed it. You see what's going on here, what, what David's describing? David's describing to Saul how he has been learning how to protect and care for his father's flock. Do you know what the two main responsibilities are of a king for his people? To protect and care for his people. While David was in that shepherd field, while the Lord had David in that shepherd field, in a, in a position that you would have thought would have been pretty mundane for a guy that's anointed to be king someday, while he was in there, God was teaching David how to care and protect his father's flock so that someday when he walked into the position and the purpose that God had for him, he would now know how to protect and care for his heavenly father's sheep, the nation of Israel. There was a plan all along. Even if his life didn't look the way that he thought it would look in that, in, that, in that season, being in that shepherd field, God was doing something. And that's what I want you to know today is we have to, we have to trust that when your life doesn't look the way you thought it would turn out and look, because I'll be honest with you, when you follow Jesus, I don't see anybody in the Bible that their life turned out the way they thought it would look. That's just not the way it's going to go. But you have to trust that God has you right where he wants you. Here's the fourth trait of a Caleb spirit. And the last one. Number four. Always remember 
God's promises. Always remember God's promises. Joshua 14, 6 through 9. This is two books later in the Bible. It says that, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kinzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again, as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord your God. This is amazing. 45 years have gone by. Caleb is now 85 years old. And guess what? He still remembers the promise that God made 45 years earlier. My question for you today is, do you remember God's promises in your life? If we are going to complete this mission that God gave us, if we are not going to get distracted by this world and we are going to dedicate our lives to glorifying the Lord, man, you have to remember his promises. You have to remember his promises. Jesus saying, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms. Like you have to remember his promises that he says that where you are going, he will wipe away every tear. There'll be no pain. There'll be no more mourning, no more sorrow. Our inheritance is not here on this earth. Caleb's inheritance was in the promised land, right? Our inheritance through Christ Jesus is not here. It's in a heavenly realm, in eternity with Jesus. You have to remember that. Remember his promises. That yes, there's a mission to do on this earth, but there is a reward and a treasure far beyond you can comprehend in heaven for eternity in the presence and glory of Jesus Christ forever in eternity. John 3.16, a verse that... That we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That who shall or ever sh- shall believe in him shall not perish. But have everlasting life. There is an eternal life to look forward to. There is a promise and inheritance to look forward to. And we have to live each and every day. Like our mission is to move towards our inheritance. It's not for here on this earth. The last clip of this movie I'm going to show you right now is an amazing clip. And obviously, uh, there's no way I could have done this this movie without showing this. It's, It's at the end of the movie. James Bond has defeated the the evil villain. He's defeated him. He's stopped the the. Uh, virus that was going to destroy the world. Ironic. That, that's what's in this movie. That's what the evil villain's trying to do. He has a, a virus that he's stolen that he's going to basically spread throughout the population to kill everybody. And it's on an island in the, in the Pacific. And uh, James Bond goes there and he defeats him. But at the end of it, when England is shooting off the rockets and missiles to destroy the island and destroy the virus once and for all, 
they realized that in order for the rockets to come in and really evaporate all the virus and everything that's on that island, the bunker doors have to be opened up, the silo doors have to be opened up, and that has to be done manually. And so James Bond ends up having to make the ultimate sacrifice. Take a look. How can you not watch that? James Bond making the ultimate sacrifice for the ones he loved and to save the world. How can you not watch that and think about the true one who made the ultimate sacrifice to save the world? The one who was fully God and fully man and came down to this earth and surrendered himself. The one who died on a cross and took our sin, our, our, our sin, our shame, our guilt, our punishment that we deserved, he took it all on himself. The one who completed his mission perfectly, not just completed, but completed it perfectly. He didn't sin, he didn't make a mistake. He completed it flawlessly. The one, Jesus, the lover of our soul.